You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Church Online. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> if we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so excited that you could join us for this series called Wait, What? And here's what it's all about. So um, that's a phrase that we use when we're shocked by information that maybe takes some time for our brain to catch up to what our ears just heard. So for instance, last week, Last week, my wife was uh, helping my sister-in-law uh, unload a U-Haul, and, w- and when she went to, to do this, she saw, and I kid you not, a, a, an old, like, ragged, like, hair falling off, just, like, just crepid fox just walking down the road. And she sent me a picture of it, and I looked at this picture, and I'm just like, wait, what? Like, I, 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 I thought it was a cat or a dog. It didn't look like a fox, but some of these things where I saw it, and I couldn't believe it, and it's a really stupid example, but you've used the phrase. You know what I'm saying. So the reason that we're calling it this is because we're looking at a, at a story in the Gospel of John, and if you have a Bible, uh, you can open up to John 6. That's where we're going to be today. Um, we're looking at a story where basically Jesus says a thing that is so controversial, that, that is so just... Like, I mean, it's so outside of his hearer's paradigm that it causes them just to go into like a head spin, like, wait, what? And spoiler alert, the story ends with people who up until that moment were Jesus followers, like people who watch Jesus perform miracles. It ends with them going, I'm sorry, that is just too much, and they walk away. So that's where... Uh, we've been now, if, if you're tuning in today and this is your first week with us, it's kind of like you're coming in in the middle of a movie uh, or the middle of like a, like a like long-running TV show. So let me sort of give you like the previously on. You know, like you watch a show and they've got like, like, like previously on, they talk about like, you know, like the case has been lost or like here's where the, the survivors are on the island or what have you. Okay, well, look, this is previously on Jesus. Okay, so here's what happens, all right? So Jesus does this miracle. And what he does is he feeds 5,000 people. Like, miraculously, he provides fish and bread for this huge multitude of, like, okay, actually 5,000 plus people. He leaves, and this crowd, they love the fact that they got a free meal from Jesus. So they track him down, and they go, listen, where have you been? And he goes, look, you don't care about me. You just care about filling your bellies. And they go, oh, man, you're right. And so they go, like, what does God want from us? And this is what Jesus says in John 6, 29. He says, the work of God is this. If you're curious, like, what makes God happy? How do you live for God? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Meaning, you can't earn a relationship with God. What God is looking for is not for you to have a sort of moral high ground. He wants you, Jesus would say, to just believe in him, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that God has sent him into the world. And that's a really big statement, which is why the original hearers, what they do is they go, hold on, you need to back that up. Okay? And the reason you need to back that up is, look, like we're, we're good Jewish men and women. Like we've got the story of Moses. We've got the story of okay, like, you know, God supernaturally delivered us from Egypt. And then when our ancestors were in the wilderness, God gave us manna. He gave us like special food in the wilderness to take care of us, the special bread from heaven. To which Jesus responds in John 6.35. He says, listen, when it comes to bread, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me, Jesus would say, listen, if you're hungry in life, if you're wanting like, like actual satisfaction for your soul, he says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus looks at them and he goes, okay, listen, God provided the manna in the wilderness for you. I'm God's provision for you ultimately. I'm what God has ultimately been doing on your be half. And then finally, Jesus, as we're sort of catching up to today, what Jesus says is, listen, for my Father's will, and this is John 6, 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I'll raise them up at the last day. I mean, believe in Jesus, God will save you. He'll give you life forever. And that's a really big claim. So that's the lead into today. So if you got your Bible, John 6 is where we're going to be. You can open up in the Version Bible tab if you're on our church online campus. Here's what it says in John 6, starting verse 41. It says, at this, this big claim of Jesus, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he say that I, you know, I've come down from heaven? Meaning, wait, what? All right, like, hold on. Like, we're not talking about this sort of Messiah who's appeared from nowhere or like, you know, like he rode down on a cloud. Like, we know, like he grew up just a few blocks from here. Like, we, we know who Jesus is. This isn't this sort of like, you know, divine revelation. He's just a dude. They're looking at this with these earthly eyes. And by the way, if I could just be pastoral with you for a moment, all right, let's just check something, okay? Because my, my people who I love with all my heart, I want you to be trained to look at things from a heavenly pers like perspective. Don't look at things in terms of, okay, like if something is attractive in the earthly sense, that's the only way that you can tell that it has worth, power, merit, or strength. Because if people who were looking at Jesus missed who he really was. There may be things that you don't know about God's nature on the earth. What a lot of us do, come on, we're very superficial. And so what we do is we, we judge something's value. Is it, is it cool enough? Is it cut enough? Is it hip enough? Is it expensive enough? Is, is, is so-and-so the best this, the best that? And, and, and like, okay, like even when it comes to something spiritual like church, and when it comes to something like, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to seek the Lord together, and we're going we're gonna to worship him together. How many people, what they're looking for isn't like authentic connection with God. It's what's the thing that best entertains me? And I want to be clear here. Don't look at things with earthly eyes. Where's the Holy Spirit leading you? Where, where are you sensing the presence of God? Because oftentimes, if we're just looking for, okay, what does this thing give me right now? You're missing something much greater. So here are these people, and what they're doing is they look at Jesus, and they go like, he's, he's Joseph's kid. I love Jesus' response here in verse 43. He says, well, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. Guys, stop it. All right? And he says, and I love this line, no one, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. All right? And I will raise them at the last day. I, I love this, that Jesus, what he just does right now, he's just like, 
arguing isn't going to do anything right now because ultimately the only ones who come to me are the ones that God, my Father, is drawing towards me. And let me just speak on that for a moment. Let me say it like this. Okay, so um, if I'm reflecting on my life, if I'm looking back on the different seasons that I have been so blessed to walk through, exist, and live in, if there's one in particular I would never go back if I had the choice, it would be when I was in middle school. All right. Anybody else like like middle school is just that hub of awkwardness. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like everything that can be awkward about you as a person happens in middle school, like exponentially. Students, if you're in middle school, you have all my compassion in the world because the, the, the life that you're in right now is just awful. Know that it gets better. Because like in middle school, you begin to smell, you begin to change, like you begin to like, like all this stuff just happens. Like you begin to like learn social things that you didn't know before. Like me in middle school, I I I I begin to sprout a little bit, even though my head didn't grow into my teeth. I had a little poop stack. Like, I was maybe like 100 pounds, if that. Like, I had a skater bowl cut with braces. Like, uh, I, I looked like a metallic Harry Jack Skellington when I was in middle school. Like, it was just, it was just awful, all right? And, and I remember one time, like, I was probably like seventh grade, I think. And I had these guys that I was sitting with at the lunch table every, every day. Like, these are, my, this is my, these are my friends. Like, yeah, like, this is, this is who I hang out with. And, and, and I remember there was just one week where I noticed they started talking about these plans that they were making without me. And they were like, hey, you know, so, um, yeah, we're going to the movie f- Friday night. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I began to listen because they weren't going, hey, Bert, you want to come? Here's what they're doing. And, and, they, and it sounded awesome because they're like, they're not just going to the movies. They're going to the movies with girls. Like, what, girls are going to be there? Yeah, girls are going to be there. Like, whoa, right? And so, and so I, I mean, listen, and, and like, like, they're going to have this big, like, group gathering of people going to the movies. And so, finally, like, I was just a little bit bold. And so, I went, like, hey, guys, like, I hear you're doing that. Like, can I come? You know? And, 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 and they knew, like, that it wasn't their shindig. So, they went, well, um, we're not against that, but, like, like, we're not the one organizing it. You need to talk to this girl. Her name was Sarah. Like, you need to go talk to Sarah because it's, it's, she's the one who's saying, like, who's going and who's not. So I'm like, all right. So I go over to Sarah. I feel so bad for Sarah right now. Like, just, like, like, like looking back on it, like, to have, like, you know, tween Bert walk up to her and be like, hey, can I come to the thing you're doing? Like, that's just, to put her in, like, that, oh, poor kid, right? So, like, but I go, like, well, like, hey, like, can I come to this thing that you're doing on Friday night? And she just goes, she goes, like, you know, the nicest response I think you can give somebody doing that, she says, well, I don't care. Like, because you don't want to be like, no, weirdo. Like, I mean, that's a very, very kind, like, in retrospect, it's very, I don't care. Like, okay, so I'm like, I, I, and I took, I don't care as a, I'm in. Okay, so, so the, you know, Friday night came, I put on my Bugle Boy jacket that my mom got me, and I had my parents drop me off at the movie theater there in Midway, and I went, and, you know, and, and, and like, I walked up to the curb, and I saw the kids that I knew, and I went up, and they were all going to see Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. That was, that was their movie, but we're going to go see Ace Ventura, and so go, I'm like, hey guys, and they're all circled up, and like, hey, what, what's up, you know, and so. So everybody goes inside, they get their tickets, everybody sits down, or we go sit down, and there's like the, you know, the seats in front of them, and um, they sort of counted it out, and there were the perfect amount of kids to fill one row, and then there was me, and they all just lined up and sat down and, and just told me to sit by myself. Um, and I did. And, and, and it's the weirdest thing because 20 plus years later, 
I can look back on that moment. And we all have moments in our lives that, that, that cement things on us. Good or bad, right or wrong, just, like the way things go down, they tell us a story about us. And we pick up beliefs about ourselves. And this, I mean, just, I, I can trace it back to this moment. Like, it's not that there weren't inklings of it before, but like really just this is the moment that solidified it for me. Looking at these kids in front of me, I just like this line began to repeat in my head. Here's what it is. You are an outsider. And you will always be an outsider. They don't want you. If you want to be part of this, you've got to push your way in. Now, I know that's not true. I know that's not true. And I'm not bringing this up right now for a Burt Pity session. No, of course not. It's middle school. Who cares? Here's why I'm bringing this up, okay? Because there are many people, when it comes to your relationship with God, you fundamentally believe that you're an outsider. Just like I kind of had to worm my way into the party and the group, you believe you've got to, like, that you've got to worm your way into this thing with God. Like There's people that God wants to hang out with, but it's not you. And there are people that God likes and that God wants to be around, but it's not you. But he'll, he'll put up with you because he's nice. And, and he'll put up with you because like, ultimately at the end of the day, he's got God rules. And, and, and the God rules say believe and he'll take you. So you're like, all right. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Okay, according to Jesus right here, Jesus says, listen, nobody comes to me unless the Father draws him in. And so here's what I need you to understand about your relationship with God right now. Is that There's no such thing as an outsider in the family of God. There's no such thing as somebody who has to sort of push their way in. It doesn't work that way. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Listen to me, okay? Your faith is not an accident. It comes from God intentionally desiring you. Your faith wasn't something that you just came up with. It wasn't that you sort of worked your way into and then like God will take you, I guess. No, no. You being saved was God's idea because salvation is 110% God's initiative. You wouldn't be in this if he didn't want you. You wouldn't be going after him if he wasn't drawing you into him. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Listen, like, God's pulling people to him. And so he continues in verse 45. He says, it is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. We go, that's really random. It's not. Here's what he's referencing, okay? Hundreds of years before Jesus, there was this prophet whose name was Isaiah. And one of the things that Isaiah, like, if you read the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, it's just full of prophecies about the coming Messiah who we believe is Jesus. And what you find is Isaiah looks to this time in the future where he talks about what God is doing through and in the life of the Messiah. And this is one of the things that, that Isaiah writes about in Isaiah 54, starting in verse 9, it says this. God is reflecting, he says, to me, so this is God. God is saying, to me. It, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. Meaning, there was a time when the judgment of God came, and God brought a physical demonstration and manifestation, the rainbow, like a physical sign that he would never flood the earth again. So there's going to come a thing where God puts it in the earth, you will see it, and this will be a reminder of God's faithfulness and compassion. And so he says, so now, I have sworn not to be angry with you. Never to rebuke you again. There's never going to be a time after this that God's ever going to hold you at arm's length or God's ever going to be bitter or passive-aggressive. That's done. And God, you, God goes, you know how firm my love for you is in this? Verse 10, he says, though the mountains be shaken, 
Like, if things are so crazy in the world that the mountains themselves shake and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And so Isaiah runs with this a little bit more. If you jump down to verse 13, here's what he says. He says, all your children will, and there's Jesus' line, be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. Meaning, God is going to do something on your behalf. Isaiah's like, something's coming. God's going to do something on your behalf. He will be so involved that your teaching won't come from a rabbi or a priest. God himself will walk among you and do the teaching as he himself intervenes. And this idea of God bringing the teaching in us isn't isolated to Isaiah. Another ancient prophet before Jesus was this guy Jeremiah. And here's a famous promise of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 33. God says, this is my covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Look at this line in verse 33. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. You won't be about you memorizing it like God's like, I'll write into you who I am. Okay? I will be their God and they will be my people. And look at this. Okay, verse 34, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. It won't just be you know, spiritual rock stars. Everybody who's in the family will know him, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And look at this, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is this type of nature promise that Jesus is going for right now, where he's going, listen, God is going to do something on your behalf. He's going to transform you from the inside out. It has nothing to do with your earning it. It has nothing to do with your like, faithfulness to the covenant. It has everything to do with the faithfulness of God. And so Jesus just brings that out more. Verse 45, he says this. He says, everyone who has heard the Father and learn from him, comes to me. I mean, listen, God is just, it's almost like he's, he's, he's lighting this flame. you got all these moths just coming to the flame who see it from a distance, like a light in the darkness. And so what, what, God's, or what Jesus is saying is, okay, listen, like there, there are people that God's just been preparing for this moment. Like he's bringing them there right there. Why? Because their faith isn't an action. There was just something stirring in them. And now God's bringing them to Christ. Like there's that kid who's in Sunday school or, or Hebrew school, and they heard that thing about God, and there was something that just sparked in their mind. They're like, I want to know him. Jesus would say, that's God just bringing him right to me. There's that person, okay, they were younger and they prayed and, they, and while they were praying, something began to warm in their heart and they didn't even know why. What was that? Okay, everyone who the Father you know, speaks to, he's going to bring them to me. And why would, why would that happen? Why would Jesus be so qualified to be given that? Verse 46 tells us, because no one has seen the Father Except the one who is from God. Talking about himself, only he has seen the Father. And so Jesus says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Hey, just check that. Okay. Um, 
the one who's been raised in a legalistic church system that says perform and then God will accept you, keep the rules and God will like you. What did Jesus just say there? The one who believes has eternal life. Yeah, but do I believe enough? It's not about the substance of your belief. It's about its existence. Like, I'm not saved because I believe well enough. I'm saved because Jesus said he would save me if I believe. Very different. What do I have to do to be saved? Believe. What else? Believe. Why? Well, verse 48, Jesus says, why? Because I'm the bread of life. It brings it back to that manna idea. He says, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Jesus is saying, listen, and this is such a huge claim, you guys. This is why they're going, wait, what? Because what he's saying is this idea of like, eat of him. Jesus is going, partake of me, and you will live forever. Hmm. Wait, what? And it's at this moment that things get weirder. Like, it's at this moment, like, Jesus starts to say some stuff, like, we, we were kind of hanging on by a thread, but now he just goes nuts. And so in verse 51, look, look at what he says now. He goes, he goes, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I mean, Jesus is prophesying what God's going to do through him. How is Jesus going to be the provision for the world? His flesh is going to be torn apart forever. Us now that's weird to them. Okay, this idea like Jesus going, listen, the bread, like the thing you need to feed on is my flesh. And what he's getting is, listen, consume me, not not physically, but listen, consume the sacrifice, consume the belief, consume my spirit, consume what I've done for you. They don't hear that, and so they in in verse thirty two. Here's what they say. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this, what, what? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, what is he going like, to cut off a chunk and put it on a plate? Like, what? And so they begin to argue like this, but Jesus, he looks right back. And, he, and the, okay, I would never, like, as a preacher, I would never do this. I would never double down on something that people are getting confused by. But this is why Jesus is so much greater than me. So he doubles down on it. So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless, and now he makes it even weirder, okay? He goes, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Why? Well, because whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, because my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Jesus, you are freaking us out, okay? Whoever, but he he keeps saying it, whoever... Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Why? Because just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Wait, what? Is he talking about cannibalism? Because it seems like it, this is insane sauce. That basically, hey, like, listen, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, oh, hold on, Dracula. Like, what? But here's what he's getting at. Okay, look. Here's what he's getting at. Jesus would say, okay, like, with his blood being poured out for us and his flesh being broken, Jesus would say, you need to live off of what I've done. 
need to live off of me. Just like, okay, like the, the Israelites in the wilderness, okay, God saved them from Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea, took them into the desert, and then he fed them on and on and on with manna. In the same way, God has saved you through the cross, the blood being shed of Christ and his body being broken. But you need to continue to partake of that because as long as you are here, you're going to need that grace. As long as you're here, you're going to need what Jesus has done for you. And I know this is weird. And we are not the first people to read this and be like, I think I get it, but I don't. I mean, in the first century, like you, you can find old documents of uh, people who were contemporaries of early Christians who thought Christians were cannibals. Like they thought, like because of like communion, right? Like they thought that okay, Christians actually ate babies. They believed this, okay? Why? Well, because of this, this type of language. In fact, like what some people do is they actually, when it comes to this passage right here, they believe that it's talking about communion. Specifically, they believe that okay, there's it's this belief called transubstantiation. It's this belief that okay, like when it comes down like for to partake of the communion elements, that the elements actually become the physical body and blood of Christ. And so if you don't take this particular communion, you are not partaking Christ, hence you are not saved. Now, here's why I think that's a bad reading. A few reasons. Number one, okay? Because to believe that it's Jesus's grace plus communion undoes the entire theme and context of this text. If over and over again in this narrative, Jesus has been saying, believe and you'll be saved, Believing we saved, it, it's, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. It, it's just incongruent with the belief, okay, like it's an, I believe, but also I do this thing. Like that just doesn't fit with where this is going. On top of that, and you should just know this. Let me, let me nerd out for a second here, okay? The language, like, in order to believe this communion, what we're doing right now is we're reading into the text, not out of it. Because anybody who, when, when, like, when it comes to sort of, like, the sort of early Christians who are reading this, who don't have a rest of the New Testament, who have sort of a, like, because you got to remember, the people that John originally writes to, they don't have a New Testament. They, they just got this, and maybe a little bit of knowledge of Judaism. None of them would look at this, this passage where communion is never even mentioned, and, like, and, and go, oh, God, so this is why we do bread and wine, because they're ultimately physically Jesus. Like, nobody in a million years would conclude that. Lastly, and this is just why I'm just going to nerd out, okay? The language here actually isn't communion language. Here's what I mean. Most of the times in the New Testament, when you find language of communion, it, Jesus, like, it's Jesus saying, this is my body and blood, right? Like, like, the, like the bread is my body, and the Greek word there is soma. But here in this passage, when he says, like, like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it's a different word. It's not soma, it's the Greek word sarks, which we usually translate like flesh, sinful nature, a person's essence. Now, here's why, like, like, here's why this is so big, because the language here isn't communion language. Better is the idea simply this, that, okay, at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is really simple. You need to live off of me. Live off of what I've done for you. Live off of my grace. Live off of my sacrifice because God has given me for you. And guys, let me tell you something. That's either true or it's not. There's no Jesus plus these other religions. There's no Jesus plus our actions. Let me just tell you something, my friend, my brother, my sister, okay? Your own piety will not save you. 
your own sort of religious dedication and doing all these little things according to the entire context of this statement says that's not what God is after. What God is after is your belief in Christ. Because only in believing on him, believing that he died for your sin and rose from the dead, that's the only shot you've got. Why? Because it rests on God. And you might go, why do you keep hammering this home? As I'm wrapping up, here's why. Because there are a lot of people who cognitively get it, but never walk it. So many people, even though, like, when it comes to being a Christian, they go, like, yes, I get it. Jesus has forgiven me. He saved me. They live with this mentality of, okay, but now I've got to make it up to him. And now I've got to earn it. And now I've got to show how dedicated I am. And what I'm telling you is the rest of your life, there will not be a moment where you are not in need of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. You will need his grace every single day, even though he's going to come inside your heart and mold you to be more like him, just like he promised in the Old Testament. That process is not done until you leave here. This morning, we sang a line that I absolutely love that I just want to give to you and remind you of as we wrap up. And it's just simply this. Remember we sang, you're not finished with me. You're not finished with me yet. And, and I think somebody today just needs to hear that because you are so aware of all the stuff that you've done and you're so aware of how you've dropped the ball and you're so aware of all the things that you need God's grace to cover. And I want to just speak this over you today. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with you yet. And if you will live in what he has done for you, may God's grace just begin to melt away the guilt and shame in your heart. Let me pray for you right now. Father God, I recognize this moment that you are doing something on our behalf. I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister who is living in the cycle of perpetual failure and is just so acutely aware of where they are not like you. Lord, I thank you because this is a moment where you're speaking to them through my words, but ultimately through the divine leading of the Holy Spirit and you are saying that you're not finished with them. Just receive that today. Hey, hey, He's not finished with you. I just, I just, I want you just to hear that. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you, just move through this moment from the screen to their ears. Like, would you just begin to just break down those walls for the one who's living in despair, who's like, God, like, okay, I had my shot, I dropped it. Hey, 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 he's not finished with you. He's not finished with you yet. Lord, guard them and guide them until the end. Because your sacrifice, your faithfulness, and your grace is enough. The work that you're asking of us is to simply believe in you. And so, Lord, we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, hey, guys, listen. If you prayed with me, 
uh, I want you to know that our church, we want to do anything that we can for you to help you going forward. Um, maybe today, like as you've been watching this, there's just something resonating in you and, and you go like, yeah, I want to be a Jesus follower. Like, I, I, I want to walk with him. I want you to know that we think that's awesome, which is why um, there are a couple things you can do. Number one, if you're on our church online campus, click that button right there that says, I, I commit my life to Jesus. Let's just get those hands up and let's just make this a day where we turn from us and turn to him. Also, we've created a website for you that's absolutely free called First Steps. If you go on over there, it's solidground.church slash first steps. You're going to find a bunch of free resources and videos that we shot to help you going forward in your relationship with God. Also, you guys, if, if you have any prayer needs, if you have anything that we, like, as a church can do for you, please email us this week, hello at solidground.church. Let us know how our church can be there to minister to your heart. At this time, guys, you are dismissed. Thank you so much for having, for having, for, I hope you're having a great morning, but thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week for the conclusion of Wait, what? They did it this week.